This is the Concealed Carry Podcast, episode number 141. And welcome to the Concealed Carry Podcast, part of the ConcealedCarry.com network. I am your host, Riley Bowman, and today here with me is also the almost ever-present Jacob Paulson. I'll take it. Yeah, I'm here. <laughs> so today is, uh, well, we're a little bit delayed, but today is a Monday <laughs> news episode, but yet it's Wednesday. What happened there, Jacob? Uh, life, I guess, is the easy answer. <laughs> I think we we prepped podcast, podcast listeners last week that, hey, by the way, Monday's episode is going to come out on Tuesday. So, uh, you know, with these news episodes in particular, we generally record them pretty close to the date they release because the information in them, are, you know, the stories and things are fairly, you know, we want it to be fresh. And, uh, well, yesterday didn't happen. So uh, lots of lots of craziness here at uh, concealedcarry.com HQ. But here it is Wednesday. We've got a news episode for you. And I should also add that that just means for those of you that really like to binge listen, episode 142 is going to follow closely on the hills of episode 141. So there's the, the bright side of things, right? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. <laughs> sure. Uh, you're, you're, you're sounding real alive today, bro. <laughs> well, I just, yeah, like you're, we're trying to put a positive spin on it. The fact is we're two days late, so sorry. <laughs> now, today's episode is brought to you by Guardian Nation. Uh, we hope that uh, you'll join us tomorrow evening at 7 p.m. Now, tomorrow meaning it would be Thursday, July 27th at 7 p.m. Mountain Time for a special Guardian Nation live broadcast event with Andrew Bronca, author of The Law of Self-Defense, which is probably, I think, the industry's standard for uh, books on the topic. And Andrew, uh, he's usually traveling the country talking and presenting to a whole bunch of different people and groups and we got lucky enough to catch up with him and get him on the program for this next guardian nation live event so we hope that you'll join us tomorrow but to do that you need to consider joining guardian nation members receive not only access to our monthly guardian nation live broadcasts as well as the archive of guardian nation live events uh, all those recordings because we do record them all but you also receive access to our shooter skill entire library, uh, 10% off everything sold at concealedcarry.com, plus here in a couple of weeks, two weeks, a little more than two weeks, Jacob, we'll be shipping out another box of gear. Yeah, and that August gear, 15th. That gear comes, yeah, it, it, it just comes. It's, it's on a schedule, it's on a timetable, and uh, probably some of you might even forget that you're going to get free gear. Well, I call it free gear because... Uh, everything else alone should be worth the value of the membership. <laughs> so anyway, we are shipping our next box here just in a couple of weeks to all Guardian Nation members. And there's still an opportunity for you to be able to qualify for that. Uh, learn more, get all the details, find out at guardiannation.com. Anything you wanted to add to that, Jacob? I'm just curious. Oh, I just think it's awesome, of course. A little bias, you know. Uh, you guys hear us talk about Guardian Nation all the time. 
but have you gone to the website? Have you really checked it out? Have you gone through all the benefits and measured it? Because I think sometimes we get complacent in our own progression as gun owners, and Guardian Nation is designed to mm, prevent complacency and to make sure you're always moving forward. Indeed, indeed. So uh, today's, by the way, being that it is a two-day late Monday news episode where we typically feature a training tip, let's get into that training tip now. And uh, that training tip today is inducing a double feed malfunction during live fire. Have you Sometimes ever done this, Jacob? Have I ever done it? I've done it to you without you even knowing, right? <laughs> how, how did that go, by the way? <laughs> you you handled it very well. We, we were at our, our uh, company meeting, was that two, three weeks ago? And uh, you, know, you needed me to load up a mag for you so you could run. Was it El Presidente? I think it was El Presidente. I don't know. It was some drill. Some drill, yeah. And so... Without Riley being aware, I picked up a couple empty shells and uh, loaded them in there along with the the live rounds and told a couple other people to watch this. <laughs> and I handed you your mag. <laughs> <laughs> and the funny thing is, I I did not notice. I did not, you know, I tr- I trusted you, Jacob. I trusted you, brother. <laughs> and that, oh, that's the right thing. That was the right thing. <laughs> That's the best way to do these these types of uh, drills is when you're least expecting them. And we we did talk about it. I think it seems like I recall us talking about it at some point about doing something like this, where you you load a magazine for your friends so they don't know what to expect. Um, but we may have focused more on like putting snap caps in that magazine when we talked about that. So they'll get a whole bunch of failure to fire drills. Um, but the way Jacob induced a double feed on me uh, was a, you put a uh, empty shell casing in mm-hmm. the magazine. And so what that does sometimes is, you know, actually, I found that putting empty shell casings in a magazine and then shooting the gun will sometimes cause a uh, failure to eject. Mm-hmm. Uh you know, so like you get a stovepipe malfunction, or sometimes you get lucky and you get a double feed, and so uh, yeah, you, you surprised me on, on that one, and that's a that's basically, you know, it's it's so hard to simulate uh, a double feed malfunction that occurs while you are shooting, because I mean I do practice this quite often, where I set up a double feed for the purpose of practicing. Uh, you know the the muscle memory skills necessary to clear that, and to do that is simply drop. You know, uh, I'll, I'll drop a snap cap. I'm usually because I'm doing this dry fire at home. Snap cap in the chamber, and then I, you know, put a loaded magazine in the gun, ease the slide forward, and I've got double feed. But doing that, you know, and, and setting that up is dang near impossible while you are actually live firing although if we put empty shell casings in the mag uh we can get lucky sometimes and get a double feed and uh, mm-hmm. we've seen that happen a couple times in the last month or two as we've played around with different things and i mean we had a class what like a month ago um guardian essentials pistol course and we we we, we did some practice with this as well then and we got lucky and got a few double feeds as well so yeah, I, what, I, I guess my main suggestion is, you know, most of us have in our head how to manage a malfunction. We know that we're supposed to tap rack, and if that doesn't clear, it's a double feed. We got to unload the gun, clear it, and then reload. But despite that being in your brain, it's just like anything else. You actually have to practice it, and there's no better way to practice it 
than by inducing it unexpectedly. So, yes. you know, what you might do is you might have three mags at, at home before you go to the range, and you might hand them to your spouse or to a friend or something and say, hey, can you load these up? But in one of these, I want you to stick a couple of snap caps in or something like that. Now, that way, you don't even know what mag it is, and, and but you know it's coming, right? To some degree, you know it's coming, and that allows you an opportunity uh, to practice some of these malfunctions. But yeah, the double feed specifically, which is today's training tip, much more difficult to induce, and that empty shell will sometimes do the trick. Yep. There you go. That's today's trading tip. And by the way, today's episode is also brought to you by the Pig Lube Rifle and Handgun 30-Piece Cleaning Kit and Live Fire Drill Cards. Two new, well, Pig Lube you've heard around, but we got a new product from Pig Lube uh, besides the Pig Lube Cleaner, the whole cleaning kit. So excited to talk about that here in a little bit. Uh, and Live Fire Drill Cards, excited to have them on as a sponsor. So with that, let's get into our first story. And this first story is, boy, it's a doozy. I mean, I, I can't even imagine being in this situation, Jacob. And, and it's unfortunate because too often, I, I do think, I mean, uh, I think once is probably too much, frankly, but and we'd, we'd like to think that all families, <laughs> you know, are 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 uh, happy families and don't have problems but the reality is i think you know families do have problems from time to time fortunately most families solve those problems without resorting to violence and yeah. in this story out of florida uh we had a a family violence uh situation basically there was a it sounded like there was some kind of argument that was taking place within the home uh and uh, so there was a verbal confronta- confrontation. It says this is a story from the Herald Tribune uh, out of uh, out of Florida. This this story specifically is from Bradenton, Florida. And um, you had a verbal confront confrontation between uh, two men. Uh, there's one man who's named Joshua Rapola, and he is like the he's like a stepfather mm-hmm. uh, to six years old. Yeah, he's a very young stepfather, I might add, to uh, to this first kid. His first, and I say kid because he's actually a 19-year-old man. His name is Rufus Adams. So he's a stepson of Joshua Rapola. So they have a confront- confrontation. I'm having a hard time with that word this morning. Uh, be- between each other. And Adams, so the 19-year-old, apparently armed himself with a gun. Mm-hmm. And so then the stepfather also armed himself with a gun. Now, right. You get yours, I'll get mine, right? Exactly. Yeah. Now, now, if I stop right there, I mean, play this out in your mind, Jacob, and, and listeners, you, you have a situation in your home uh, with a stepson, and so sometimes, you know, mi- mixed families, uh, you know, I, I, I grew up in a family where I had a stepfather, and things were not always, uh, you know, <laughs> perfect uh, in our relationship either. We definitely had our disagreements, so I can kind of see this happening. So you have this fight going on, and it does say it was a verbal confrontation. So there, it wasn't like it was coming to blows yet, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now all of a sudden, your stepson pulls a gun out. So you you grab your gun. I mean, does that seem reasonable at this point? Yeah, it does. I don't. Uh, I mean, who am I to give parenting advice? But uh, I think that, you know, on paper, it doesn't sound unreasonable, but perhaps it was also unnecessary. I don't know. I mean, maybe this this Adam's kid, I mean, it sounds like he was maybe going to shoot stepdad. Um, We don't know Adam's history. We don't know the, you know, so who am I to judge, right? But let's just say that it's relatively reasonable. Yeah. I mean, it, it. this this could play out 
you know, I could see this playing out to where this was simply a self-defense case. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, this isn't a 12-year-old, okay, pulling out a gun on dad. Uh, that might be, I mean, that would certainly be viewed differently than a 19-year-old. I mean, this is a technically, you know, he's a, he's a legal adult. He's a man. He's a grown size man, most likely. And he pulls out a gun. Stepdad pulls out a gun. And the stepdad apparently fires first. And so he fired shots in the direction of Adams. That, that's the, uh, the 19-year-old. But unfortunately, a 12-year-old boy was also in the vicinity. And that 12-year-old was hit. Now, mm-hmm. uh, both, both, both stepsons uh, actually were shot. Uh, but, uh, but the 12-year-old obviously is a completely innocent party. That's why we decided to feature this story today, because regardless if Mr. Rapola was justified in his use of deadly force towards the 19-year-old Rufus Adams, uh, he's he's got a problem on his hands. He's got a legal legal problem, and also, I mean, I'm sure he didn't want to hurt his his 12-year-old son. Well, we'd like to believe that. I mean, but it really doesn't matter is the point, right? And and you know, many of you are probably familiar with the idea of transfer of intent, right? If he intended to, uh, with malice, to, you know, to, to hurt, injure, or kill the 19-year-old, but he missed and hit the 12-year-old, then that malice, that bad intent is transferred to the 12-year-old. And he could be charged, you know, with whatever, you know, whether it's, whether it's murder or attempted murder, whatever it might be. Uh, if the you know if the intent was was bad, so it's it's not it's not bueno for for Mr. Rapola here. Yeah. So we we talk about this from time to time, and we talk about the liability that it is to be a concealed carrier, to carry your gun, and the potential liability that you might face, uh, both criminal and civil, in situations where essentially an, an innocent bystander is struck by one of your, your bullets, regardless of your intent. Uh, you're trying to do the right thing. You're trying to save, you know, the life of somebody, including yourself. And you have a straight bullet, which is very likely to happen in, 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 in the heat of the moment, uh, in these self-defense scenarios and a straight bullet strikes an innocent bystander and you're liable for that life as well. Uh, and then, so it is a great responsibility. It is a big issue. Uh, it sounds like I said that this, uh, 12 year old was standing somewhere kind of, you know, in the direction of the 19 year old. Um, uh, he obviously, you know, was not a part of this, should not have been a part of this. And, uh, he was struck and, uh, you know, the, the stepfather is going to have to live with that and we'll have that on his hands for a long time to come. And it doesn't say that charges have been fired, filed yet. Uh, well, it actually specifically, specifically says charges have not yet been filed in the case, but I suspect, uh, charges will be filed at some point and, uh, that, uh, uh, that, that they're just trying to work their way through the investigation at this point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, uh, the, I think the main takeaway here would be a couple of things. One would be, you know, in some to some degree you know without knowing any of the context we have to accept that it's possible that the 19 year old stepson was is imbalanced that the guy you know that he's he's completely unstable uh in which case you know as as a as a stepfather as a family member what are we doing to help that individual to get the help that they need and to restrict their access to to firearms uh you know in in that regard another main takeaway here would be 
you know, we don't know what threats were made or what was said, but we do know that the stepdad is the one who shot first, the only one that shot, I might add. And so, you know, what do we what do we do to de-escalate situations versus escalate them? You know, how how are we managing that? And then third, obviously, here is uh, you know, how good is your aim? You know, how how well can you manage your environment when you're shooting? You know, I gotta pick a bone a little bit with you on that second point, though. I'm I mean, ready. <laughs> um. You know, just talking about uh, de-escalate. I mean, of course, we always want to de-escalate situations if possible. And the opportunity here would obviously be to de-escalate the situation before the verbal confrontation became a shooting confrontation, uh, a deadly one that I might add. Uh, now, no, no one died here, I believe. Um, they are all in the hospital. But uh, regardless, okay, so back to my point. When a gun gets involved like this, uh, I mean, once you get to that point, I don't know that there is a whole lot I that I feel like. I mean, you could stand there all day long and try to de-escalate, but if the stepson shoots first, now you're dead. No, I, I get I get that. Right? What I'm saying is we don't we don't have all the context. We don't know. Um, so I'm 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 playing both sides of the advocacy here. Right, one side of it is. That you know, maybe this this stepson is a complete nut job. You know, maybe he's totally off his rocker and he's got violent tendencies. And you know, if we're not careful, he's going to be the next serial serial killer. You know, and and he grabbed a gun and the stepdad's like, "Whoa! Like I've got to put this to an end right now. He will hurt people." In which case, like, great, good job. Um, why did he have access to a gun in the first place? And, and then the other side, I think, of the coin is you know the stepson, you know. Was probably not didn't have malintent. Maybe he just you know got a little carried away, and maybe the stepdad could have talked him down a little bit before shooting. I'm not saying that either of those things are true. I'm simply saying that those are both things to ponder on and to think about. Uh, one is you know if we if we have people in our family who shouldn't have access to a gun, let's be proactive in that regard. And on the second hand, you know when we're in these situations, let's use our best judgment to identify those moments when we don't need to escalate it. By firing a shot, we might be able to de-escalate it. Now, so, so I'm not I'm not trying to pass judgment, uh, you know, specific to the situation. I'm saying that those are things to to have in your head and be pondering on. Yeah, well, like I said, always, always, always de-escalate in all situations if possible. But uh, when you recognize that de-escalation is not going to work and you have only one choice, you got to do what you got to do. Yeah, d- defend but, yourself. But the sure. opportunity yeah. here, like I said, I mean. Uh, yeah, you you. This guy should have de-escalated if possible. Be, you know, while it was still just a verbal thing and not uh, later. But anyway, mm-hmm. next story. <clears throat> this is uh, out of Michigan, where a judge tells a marine to choose between two A rights and fostering his grandson. Oh, I'm pissed is, about this one. Title. Oh, I I hear you, bro. Uh, so today, or excuse me, not today. On Monday. The Second Amendment Foundation filed a lawsuit against Michigan's Department of Health and Human Services for impeding on foster and adoptive parents' Second Amendment rights. Uh, The lawsuit is filed on behalf of two couples, William and Jill Johnson and Brian and Naomi Mason. The Johnsons were going to take custody of their grandson to keep him from going into foster care. When they went to pick up their grandson, William, a retired disabled Marine with a concealed pistol license, was searched for a firearm. He was not carrying a firearm at the time. At that point, agency officials told the Johnsons they would be required to provide all firearms serial numbers to the agency as part of a registry. 
When Johnson questioned agency workers, he was given a surprising response. If you want to care for your grandson, you will have to give up some of your constitutional rights. A Michigan Department of Health and Human Services worker re, uh, responded, Wow. Yeah, yeah. And then the judge reiterates it later. So now they're in front of a judge, and a judge says, quote, We know we are violating numerous constitutional rights here, but if you do not comply, we will remove the boy from your home. End quote. And in addition to wanting serial numbers so they could create a registry, they also were requiring that firearms be locked up and stored in a certain way and were threatening spot checks. Like, we will come and check to make sure the guns are locked up. Uh, you know, so, so not only you know, are we removing constitutional rights and violating federal law, as far as I'm concerned, any form of a firearm registry is in violation of the Firearm Owner Protection Act in 1986. So not only are they violating federal law, but they're also saying you, you basically can't have a firearm on you for self-defense because you have to have it locked up, despite you having gone to the effort of getting a concealed handgun license. Uh, whoa. And this is not the first time this has happened. You know, you mentioned there's two different families, you know, the, the Johnsons and the Masons that are listed on the lawsuit. The Masons also went through some of this drama uh, a year or two ago in the, in this, in the uh, news article that I read earlier this week. It's, it's mind blowing. I didn't even, and, and I think that there's a great opportunity here. The news is sensationalizing the fact that this is a Marine, you know, he's a disabled vet, which fine, if that helps, you know, further the cause. But at the end of the day, no one should have to jeopardize their Second Amendment rights, and no agency uh, should should be violating federal law and creating a registry just because of foster kids. Like I'm, I'm. It's to me, it's mind blowing. I'm completely befuddled. It, it is mind blowing because it is Second Amendment rights that are at stake here, uh, that are guaranteed by the by the Bill of Rights, by the Constitution, and to think that they would have so such little uh, uh, care about those rights. I mean, to think that <laughs> that they as social workers or even as a judge, and th- this judge, by the way, I mean, typically in these types of cases, uh, it is a family court, you know, judge. So it's, it's a judge that's, that handles a lot of these types of cases. And to think that that they would knowingly violate and even use the word violate, they said, we know we are violating numerous constitutional rights here. Uh this is insane. I mean, number one, this is this is the grandson of the people uh, of the plaintiffs. Uh, it's not just some random kid. You know, they uh, decided they wanted to adopt uh, or foster. Uh, it's it's a fan. It's blood. It's a blood relative. I mean, not that that would make it any different, but I mean, even with that, it's it's amazing to me that they would think that they could violate Second Amendment rights. Because of whatever agenda, you know, I guess they would probably argue, hey, it's, this, it's we have the, the safety of the child uh, is our best interest. Yeah, yeah but, but here's the problem. Like, we only take away constitutional rights when you're a criminal. That's the only time we should take away constitutional rights. Or when, okay, yeah, I'll concede. Maybe sometimes it makes sense to restrict a constitutional right in order to protect the safety of others. And that, that is a, that's a rabbit hole, right? We could really go down that one and it can get ugly. That can be interpreted lots of ways that can, that can get, that can get really nasty. And that is basically the gun control debate is how much of our constitutional right can we restrict in order to, to protect others. But in this case, you're, you're, 
you're leaving people unprotected. You're saying, we're going to take away the constitutional right that allows you to defend yourself from criminals, and you've not done anything wrong. You are not a criminal. And and the implication here is that they can't be trusted, right? The, 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 an American adult citizen, in this case, who's passed a background check and received training, cannot be trusted to protect you know, a, a foster child from the gun in the home. That's the implication. And, and, and here's the other problem for me. Like, let's, let's imagine for a second that the only request was guns have to be locked up. Okay, if that, if that was the only policy, like, we'd be having a slightly different conversation. I'd be slightly less pissed off right now because we'd still, I could still freak out and I could still say that's completely ridiculous. We should trust the American citizen. Uh, you know, like, that, that's just the way it is. But... But above and beyond that, my beef above and beyond that is that they want serial numbers. They want a registry. Why? Explain to me what is the justification for the Michigan Department of Human whatever or something. What is their justification? Thank you. What is their justification to have a list of serial numbers of guns in foster homes? To me, there is no excuse for that whatsoever. There, there is no legitimate, bona fide reason they need to have serial numbers of the guns in my home because I have a foster child in my home. To me, that, that is complete disregard for federal law that says you can't do that. And it, the only thing I can come up with is that that furthers a gun control agenda. Like, I, 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 there's, just, there's no way. Yeah. Uh. I don't know what else to say. I mean, uh, so I think we'll move on from this one other than uh, we brought it to your attention, listeners, uh, and you should be you should be scared about stuff like this because this is this is like confiscation and registration uh, right here, you know, in Michigan, a place I don't know that I would necessarily would expect that sort of thing to take place. I mean, it, we, we would expect to hear this out of California or New York City. Uh, or Massachusetts, but uh, Michigan, I mean, it's just amazing. And I, I wonder how many other times this sort of thing has happened or is happening across the country. I don't, I suspect these folks are not alone in running into an issue like this. I'm thinking about uh, many families that adopt children or foster children. Uh, friends of mine, very good friends of mine that have uh, looked into adopting and all the hoops they got to jump through and many of those hoops i understand why they're there and of course there are safety checks done on the home and the home is inspected ahead of time and uh you know to be honest with you i never really talked to my friend uh about the whole issue of of guns in the home because i know he's got some and i know he keeps them locked up and maybe in that particular jurisdiction uh it was inspected and they found yep everything is locked up as it should be nothing to see here you know moving on uh but this story is just amazing to me. It, the irony here, Jacob, is that if this grandfather, if that home was broken into and the child died, you know, due to a, a home invasion, uh, burglary, whatever, and the grandfather couldn't protect that child's life because of his guns, uh, you know, being all locked up and or or even being stored somewhere else because he was concerned about having his grandson taken away, that would be that would be true irony right there. 
uh, and it's interesting because this is where a lot of gun controllers get their the thinking in their brains mixed up. They think, oh, for safety, we got to take guns away from people. Uh, but they never view the gun as being necessary for safety. Yet we share, we've got several stories here today in just a few minutes that we will talk about where the gun is, I mean, it is part of, it, it's a safety it's a safety tool. It is something that can be part of every family's and every individual's toolkit to help keep them safe. Now, accidents do happen with those. They shouldn't. We talk about that. We've talked about it in a very special episode talking about negligent discharges and so forth. But that's where the thinking just totally gets flipped upside down on its head uh, in you know the gun control world. And, you know, they view it only as a threat to life, but never as something that can actually protect and defend. Well said. Yeah. Now, on to a story from, speaking of gun control, uh, this one's interesting. And I'm kind of curious to, I'm, I'm, I'm curious what our listeners are going to think about this one. Uh, so, it was a big deal in the presidential campaign. Uh, you know, obviously we knew where Hillary Clinton stood on gun control. She is pro gun control. She most likely would have advanced an agenda uh, that would have restricted gun rights even further. Donald Trump came out saying, even though in the past he had maybe been a little bit more, you know, leaning towards the middle or towards you know even maybe the gun control side, but in the last number of years he's been very clear that look, I am a pro gun. You know, I'm a supporter of gun rights. And for the most part, his picks for his staff, uh, his cabinet picks, his uh, 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 nom- nominees for various uh, positions in, in his administration have been also, you know, gun rights supporters. Well, last week, his White House communications chief stepped down. He's got a new one. Uh, this one is, uh, what's his name? Anthony Scaramucci, I guess. Uh, sure. And so his new White House communications uh, chief or director has in the past very openly voiced support for gun control. So is this the beginning of a, uh, I don't know, a President Trump downfall, and at least in the eyes of many Americans that uh, view him as being a pro-gun rights supporter? Uh, is is there, I don't know, I'm just curious, is, is there anything... Anything here? I don't know. It's an interesting one, though, for sure. Yeah, I, I mean, it's the kind of thing that's worth following and keeping an eye on. Um, for me, it's not the kind of thing worth panicking over. Uh, you know, I often are you familiar, Riley, with the 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 term or the book "Team of Rivals"? I am not. That's a new one. Yeah. So, so "Team of Rivals" is kind of this this premise over which a book was written about the uh, cabinet and staff of President Abraham Lincoln. And Abraham Lincoln kind of became famous for a lot of things. But one of the things he did that was very controversial at the time and that most presidents don't do is he took like all the all the people he defeated in his election and pulled them into his cabinet. Yes. And so most of us are kind of familiar with that story. And this idea that, that you know, Lincoln's approach was, hey, you know, I'm going to heal the nation or I'm going to make a stronger nation by bringing some of my strongest critics into my advisorship. 
And that went a long way, you know, given the trials that then came <laughs> during Lincoln's presidency, you know, the Civil War and, and the Emancipation Act, you know, having uh, a cabinet full of people that came from different walks of life and, you know, came from different groups and, you know, camps, so to speak, politically, uh, allowed him to be successful in the things he did. So, I'm not suggesting that Trump has got that kind of insight or foresight or whatever. I'm just saying that I don't know that it's all bad that we sometimes have people of differing opinions or values or whatever in a room talking about the best things for our nation. But it's good to be aware of and probably a good thing to keep an eye on. You know, that's an interesting point because, uh, you know, as most are aware, Trump defeated in the primaries uh, Mitt Romney. Or, excuse me, not Mitt Romney. What was I saying? I don't know what you're saying. <laughs> he defeated a lot of folks. <laughs> he defeated a lot of Sorry. people. Yes. Where I was going with that was he kind of, in a way, I don't know. P- people wanted Mitt Romney to get into the race. There was definitely that that crowd. Um, what I thought, what I meant was, <laughs> what I was meaning to say that I thought was interesting is that it seemed very apparent, even though that um, Mitt Romney and, and he probably wouldn't see eye to eye on on many things. Uh, he he was. It seemed very clear that he was inviting him in uh, to uh, consider him for some sort of cabinet post. Um, even though uh, John Huntsman, uh, who uh, has run for president in the past, who was just recently made uh, an ambassador. Um, so, I mean, I don't think Trump is uh, afraid to um, take some of, of, you know, who might be viewed as opponents and bring him into his administration. I think what we've what we all know about Trump, and you know, not to make this a political conversation, well, too late, right? But what we all know about Trump is that he just frankly doesn't care about politics or party, right? Like he he's he's the most antithesis politician of any president we've had in a very long time. So yeah. I just I just don't think he cares. I just yeah. think that he's he you know, in his mind he's a businessman and he's just saying, hey, what what's the best team I can assemble to get the job done? Um, now that may be good, that may be bad, and that that's a whole different conversation, which is probably outside our scope. Uh, but yeah, let's let's keep an eye on Scaramucci or whatever, and and let's you know let's let's be let's be cautious, yeah. let's be thinking about it. You know, unless you think that the communications director uh, in the White House isn't, you know, well, you know, he's just a communication guy, he's just a spokesperson. He you know, he does take the role as a, a as an advisor to the president as well, and is involved in many important meetings uh, where decisions are being made, and may very well be asked for input. Um, yeah, definitely. That's that's kind of the thing to take away from this is I'm a little bit personally disgruntled to see someone who is pro gun control potentially. I mean, maybe he's changed his stance. We don't know that because all the evidence we have so far is from you know five years ago when he tweeted that you know he was he was pro gun control. Uh, but uh, the gun control group, Every Town for Gun Safety, uh, of course, who we know is behind that is Michael Bloomberg, which. Interestingly enough, you know, Michael Bloomberg and Trump both are both kind of two, you know, tycoons in the New York City uh, scene. Um, They don't really, I don't, to my knowledge, don't really get along or really, you know, anything like that. But every time for gun safety is definitely latching on to this this past that Anthony Scaramucci has uh, and and putting out there, hey, he's pro-gun control. We're so happy to have a White House communications director that's pro-gun control. So they, they see it as a big win. We'll keep our eyes on, on the guy and, of course, on Trump. Um, I'm not yet necessarily afraid of anything happening gun control-wise, but it might be interesting if we have, and I, I hate to say it, but if we have another uh, kind of major uh, national spotlight uh, uh, 
you know, kind of mass shooting uh, take place. I'm interested. I'm, I'll be definitely looking very closely on, on any statements that are issued from the White House uh, regarding that. So now turning to, uh, by the way, that last story is from the Washington Times. Uh, this one is from the Daily Caller. And speaking uh, kind of on the opposite end of the spectrum, Paul Ryan, who is also a past presidential candidate, uh, he, in fact, vice president running mate of to Mitt Romney, uh, he is being reported here as having confirmed his support for Second Amendment reciprocity legislation on Friday. But this is the interesting part, because we we reported in the past, shortly after the congressional baseball team practice uh, shooting, uh, we talked about how there was legislation proposed for congressmen and women to be able to have like full reciprocity. Mm-hmm. And I remember our commentary in that was... That's dumb. It should be for everybody, not just yeah. for a special elite group of Congress people. Paul Ryan came out and said, I support Second Amendment reciprocity legislation, but he stopped short of any bill that exclusively gave concealed carry rights to congressmen. I yeah, love I think, it. I think, I think we're all tired and sick and you know fed up with you know, politicians who want to give themselves special stuff. You know, like mm-hmm. like I think as a as a as a nation, like we're fed up with politicians who want to reward themselves and exclude the rest of us, who think that they're special because they're a politician. And the rest of us are just tired of that. And I think there was a lot of backlash when these proposals went forth from from, you know, several and you know, people, on, you know, mostly Republican senators and things who were proposing these bills that would say, hey, you know, national reciprocity may not happen, but let's let's give it to us, us Congress people. It's like, well, bull crap, you know? And so I, I appreciate Ryan, whether he's doing this because it's the right thing to do, or if he's doing this because he knows that this is, you know, based on the commentary that he's, you know, he's hearing from the nation, we're tired of the exclusive rights for our Congress people. Like, you know, if if you think it's valuable, if you think it's important, then you should recognize it's important and valuable for everyone, everyone. not just you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So here's a couple of quotes I wanted to read from uh, Congressman uh, Paul Ryan. He uh, <laughs> these are some actually I should say not just Congressman, Congressman, House Speaker. This is a guy that has a lot of power in the House, by the way. Uh, and so he came out here saying, I support reciprocity, but I don't know if all of our members support reciprocity. There are issues some members have on federalism grounds on that. Now, we've talked about some of those federalism grounds and about how it, you know, having national reciprocity could create some issues with states' rights, right? Um, and that's what he's talking about there. But he says, my own view with respect to members of Congress with that question is that we've got to be treated under the same law like everybody else. No special exceptions for members of Congress, as far as I'm concerned. Boom. I mean, that. I love to hear something. I love to hear that kind of talk out of Washington, D.C. I love to hear it from our House Speaker, Paul Ryan. I'd like to hear it from even more of them. Like I said, he, he carries a lot of weight, obviously, in the House. He is the Speaker of the House, after all, uh, which means... There's a good chance that you know he can sway a lot of members of his own party uh, to at least getting on board, even if they don't necessarily personally completely agree with an agenda. He can sway a lot of people to get on board with with a particular agenda. So that's that's really cool to see. I'm um, uh, you know 
happy to report to you that uh, our House Speaker at least has some common sense in that regard. On to now a story from Fox News, where it's reporting that concealed handgun permits are surging, and it is amongst blacks and women that the growth, you know, where the growth is is greatest. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this this has been this is cool. This this is basically a, the latest report from the Crime Prevention Research Center, the CR uh, CPRC, and that's uh, for those of you who, who follow that. That's uh, John Lotz, you know, primary education organization. He he runs that, and he puts out this report almost on an annual basis. I mean, there's some years he doesn't do it, but basically every year he puts out this big report about you know where we're at with concealed handgun permits, kind of the state of the game. And this latest report is catching a lot of headlines because, you know, we've always seen growth, don't get me wrong, but the the growth in the last year has been really, really strong. Um, 1.83 million new permits year over year, you know, since last July to this July, uh, which is a record for the fourth consecutive year, but the, the increase is, is far more substantial than, than what we've seen in past years. So that, that's the first kind of big part of the news here is, wow, the growth is really big. Yeah. And it wasn't, you know, we've reported in the past, we've thrown out there the, the statistics. We've, we've said something along the lines of, hey, there's 14 million concealed carriers in the nation. And now, I mean, with this report, we can now say there's 16.3 million concealed carriers in the nation. Uh, that's, that's amazing. Uh, it says here that concealed handgun permits are now held by some more than 6% of American adults. Outside of the restrictive states of California and New York, that figure rises to about 8%. That's that's really exciting to see. And so if you dig into the numbers a little bit deeper, uh, what they're suggesting is that among some of the greatest, gro- greatest growth amongst uh, various uh, demographics are amongst women and African-Americans. Uh, that's really cool to see, I think, because you have on the gun control side uh, of, you know, agenda, the, the, the gun grabbers, uh, they would point out how, uh, you know, they have everybody's best interest at, you know, in interest, like that's what they're interested in, uh, that they, um, they're concerned about safety and all this stuff, right? But a lot of those same people too, and I don't mean to make this a political issue, but there are a lot on that side that have the support of a lot of the African-American community. Okay, that's just been the nature of politics in America for a long time. The curious thing is now you've got more and more African-Americans getting on board with having a gun for personal protection and carrying concealed. And now that you you start to have a demographic that for a long time has by and large supported, I'll just say it, the democratic agenda. And now they are getting on board with more Second Amendment rights. I'm just curious to see what might happen when, you know, that democratic agenda pushes forward gun control legislation or, or ideas that now maybe starts to restrict some of their own supporters' rights. Mm-hmm. And, and, yeah. and by the way, <clears throat> demographically speaking, women, more, more women support the democratic agenda. And more of them are now getting on board with guns and concealed carry. So, I mean, this is, this is a really interesting thing to see happening, I think. 
Yeah, I was actually really surprised by this number. It says, in states that record gender data for permit holders, women account for 36% of the total number of permit holders. That's not the new permit holders. That's the total number of permit holders. And so that's that's pretty that's pretty impressive. Like, frankly, I, I mean, we've often made anecdotal comments on the podcast about how we see more and more women in our classes. And that is certainly true. And I might have easily have you know, thrown out the number 25-30% of new permit holders are women. But to hear that 36% of all permit holders are women, at least in the states where we have the data, uh, I, I that was higher than I would have guessed. Well, and the curious thing here is that also in that same paragraph that you're referencing about the 36%, uh, the next sentence there says, eight states had, da- had data from 2012 to t- 2016. And they saw a 326% faster increase in permits among women than among men. Mm. Yeah. That's serious. (laughs) (laughs) That's a big deal. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, we have very much anecdotally talked about how we've seen in our own classes that we teach more and more women. I've had classes where the women outnumbered the men. That's not been necessarily common but it but that has happened a, n- a number of times i had a class once with like six people in it and five of them were women yeah yeah you know and i i mean i yeah i taught a class not too long ago that was put together by you know, like it was like a military spouse organization or something you know so it's a room of like 30 people like 28 are women but that, that yeah. was a unique situation yeah here's another here's another valuable point of this of this uh you know data that's come forth from from CRPC. It says, concealed handgun permit holders are extremely law-abiding. The percent of permit holders who are charged or convicted of a felony has fallen. In, in 2015, it was 0.0123. In 2016, the percent was 0.0092. So it's not a huge percent drop, it's still a drop. And then here's another little anecdotal piece. In Florida and Texas, Permit holders are convicted of misdemeanors and felonies at one-sixth of the rate at which police officers are convicted of the same crimes. Wow. Now, by the- So, in Florida and Texas, the permit holders are six times more law-abiding than the cops. <laughs> That's interesting. Now, those percentages you gave, by the way, uh, you said 0.0092% of permit holders were charged or convicted of a Correct. Did felony. I leave out the percent part? No, yeah, no, no. I'm, emphasi- I'm emphasizing yeah. what you said. That's percent. That That is, that's like, that's under 1% of 1%. Right, right. <laughs> In other words, it's, it's statistically uh, it, it, irrelevant. It, it doesn't, <laughs> it, it virtually no. I mean, there, there's a few bad apples, but it is very much a few bad apples out of yeah. millions. And you, we need to do a, po- a podcast on this sometime because I, I did some digging once into, you know, concealed carry permit holders who are criminals. And there's actually a really cool, like, anti-gun, gun control website that keeps track of, you know, all us bad permit holders who commit crimes. And I dug through their data, what was that, like six months ago or something? And uh, some really interesting insights. So that, that that's a good topic for another day, too. Indeed, indeed. Good stuff. Let's turn now to Minneapolis, Minnesota. Uh, there's been, you know, the story of where a police officer uh, in Minneapolis shot and killed an Australian woman, Justine Damond or Demond. 
And it's a pretty tragic story. I mean, you have a woman who calls about, uh, uh, you know, a situation. Uh, I think even maybe a potential uh, suspected uh, uh, assault, you know, or assaulter. Okay. And so police respond. And they get there and she comes out to meet them. And she's in an alleyway. Uh, She comes out to meet them. And the most recent thing I saw that was reported, by the way, is that apparently she like slapped on the either the roof of the car or the hood of the car. Okay, like kind of pop, pop, pop. You know, like I would imagine trying to get you know attention or something. Okay, that's pretty pretty common. Um, I don't know if that startled this guy or what. You know, we really don't have a lot of details still. Uh, still an investigation going on, obviously. Uh, but unfortunately, the officer shot and killed her. Uh, I know his partner he was with, He was there was two officers in this patrol car. I know the one officer was surprised his partner started shooting. Um, but it's very tragic. Uh, it probably shouldn't have happened, obviously. Um, but what is being reported is that the police chief has now quit. He has now stepped down. He said that, uh, excuse me, the chief of police was a, was a woman, uh, Betsy Hodges. She said that she had lost the confidence of the people. Uh, in a statement, she said, I've lost the confidence in the, wait, I got that totally wrong. The, <laughs> yeah, I was like, where, where are you getting this? Uh, sometimes, you, folks, just so you know, you want to know how hard it is to do this job. Uh, you read all these stories and you try to keep all the facts straight. And then you're, you're, you think you got it all straight. Because I was thinking, I'm like, the, the police chief's a guy, the police chief's a guy. And then you're reading this story. And because the way things are worded, you're like, wait. Uh, who's this? Betsy Hodges. That's right. That's the that's the mayor. All right, got my facts straight again. <laughs> okay, so <laughs> this is the mayor's statement. I thought that was the uh, police chief statement. She said that I've lost ability or co- confidence in the chief's ability to lead us further. And from the many conversations I've had with people around our city, it is clear that she has lost the confidence of the people of Minneapolis as well. For us to continue to transform policing, we need new leadership at Minneapolis Police Department. So, mm-hmm. you know, <sighs> I just find this really interesting. Because we we put the blame on a police chief for the actions of one officer. Uh, well, now, if there's I'll, I'll throw in there too because I, I think that you have to also remember this is the same jurisdiction where we had the Philando Castile incident. Yeah, I I, I get that. I get that. Um, but okay, so all right, two officers do two things. Uh, obviously, you know, well, I don't know. <laughs> the Flando Castile thing is a pretty, that's a complex case there. This latest yeah, we've one, talked about it. this latest one is not as complex as far as I see it. I mean, it's like, okay, woman in a, you know, like bathrobe, uh, probably does not look like a threat, you know, especially when the call, I believe they had information that su- suggested the caller was a female caller. And like, I mean, in my head, I'm thinking if I'm arriving on that scene, I'm, I'm, I see woman in a bathrobe. I'm not thinking suspect. Okay. And I'm not probably shooting her. All right. Uh, In other words, I'd have to see, (laughs) I'd have to see a gun in her hand for me to go, oh, I think I better shoot. You know, it's not one of those situations where it's going to be. Uh, a judgment call where you're like woman in bathrobe. I think she looks like a threat. I think, what does she have under that bathrobe? You know, like mm-hmm. it's, it, it just doesn't, that, that picture does not get painted in my mind. I, I have a really hard time uh, 
wrapping my mind around this one. The Philando Castile thing is a very complex situation, a very controversial one as well, but it's it's very complex. This one, I don't see it as being that complex. Anyway, so I, I just find it interesting. You know, if the police officer actually did something wrong, the police officer should be hung out to dry. Uh, that doesn't, that isn't necessarily always the fault of a police chief. Now it could be, you could point to, well, the police chief changed training standards in 2015 and that's why we're seeing these issues or the police chief is not investigating the background sufficiently enough on some of the officers it's hiring, you know, stuff like that. If you can point to that specifically and then, then that's fine. But, uh, I, I don't know. This is a, it's an interesting one. Now, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I also think that sometimes, and I don't, I'm not saying this is good or bad, but I think what you really have here is not that someone's trying to place blame on someone specifically as much as the mayor is saying, hey, our people need to have confidence in our police. And right now they don't. And a way I can restore confidence in my constituents is by replacing this person. And that's important, you know, that we have the confidence of our citizenry. So I, that, that's the, the feeling I got from going through this. Yeah. And by the way, I'm not saying that's good or bad. I'm just saying that, that that's more what this is about. It's not about who's who's to blame. Sure, sure. I, I get that. I get it. Really, I do. But uh, I, I do want to clarify or correct myself because I know I'll get messaged about it. <laughs> there is confusion going all around on this story because the police chief is also a woman. <laughs> and, oh, so it, it, did, and, it did throw you from And that there. is Janae Harto. I, 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 that's the thing. I was trying to find the name in the story. Like, you'd think it would be, like, right out there in your face. And, uh, you know, there you go. So, the, it is a, a, a female mayor and a female uh, police chief. Uh, got it straightened out. Okay. Sorry about that, folks. And it is early on a Wednesday morning. That's not, that's a poor excuse, right? <laughs> yeah. Very poor. <laughs> All right, so I think now, are we to our first Justified story? We are in Ohio, Columbia Township. Why don't you uh, run it down for us? All right, so what we have here is two... Two BGs, two bad guys, or yeah, they're but they're they're male, just because I don't want to create any Riley snafus here. <laughs> so two dudes break into a home just after three a.m. and you know these these criminals they're staying up later and later these days, you know, or getting up earlier. I don't, and it just seems like we see more and more like morning, you know, crime. Anyway, so just after three a.m., two dudes break into a house. So the twenty-four-year-old homeowner occupant Gary Gross grabs a hammer and confronts the two intruders that he says he's never seen before. So a hammer is the weapon he has available to him at the time. So that's what he grabs. He gets into some sort of struggle. We don't have any details. Just as after a brief struggle, Gross runs outside to his car where he retrieves a gun. He's got a gun in his car, apparently. Like, you know, in the house, all he had was a hammer. His gun's out in his car. So he runs out to his car, grabs his gun, runs back inside and shoots at both men who flee the house and drive away. Okay, um, and and it's you know a couple noteworthy things I'll add here. Then we'll get your take, Riley. Uh, Gross has said his girlfriend and his son were in the house at the time of the home invasion, so it wasn't just him he was defending. There were two other people, which I think interesting as far as the you know taking that into the into the whole group. But here's something I did like. Um, he said, "This is a quote from Gary Gross, the homeowner." He says, "They picked the wrong day to do something like that. I don't want to kill anybody, so hopefully they'll be okay and they'll learn a lesson." Mm-hmm. Um, and then he also says, you have to do what you got to do. You have to make sure that these guys do not make it to that back room. Your son is back there. If anything happens to you, he's defenseless. She's defenseless. 
Mm. Yeah. Okay, I, I had to chuckle to myself a little bit when you were reading about him running out to his car to grab his gun because apparently he didn't have one inside yeah. the house. And I, I was chuckling because all I could think was, this dude's safe. His safe is his car. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, yeah. You know, but this, this. I mean, here, what's the lesson here, right? The lesson is, where the crap is your gun? Like, he literally had to abandon... You know, his son, his very small son, I, I don't know how old the kid is, but based on the pictures, the kid's not two years old. He's, he's less than two years old. He had to abandon his child and l- walk out of a home, leaving the bad guys in that home with his son to go get his gun. That is not a situation any of us ever want to be in. That's a problem. Yeah. He also had the opportunity to retrieve the hammer, which means had the gun been in the home, he would have had the time to retrieve it. Yeah, absolutely. You know, okay, so a couple takeaways from this story. Uh, One, I applaud him for recognizing, hey, I have, even though I don't have my gun on me or near me, uh, there are other tools at my disposal. Like, you should never, ever be defenseless. Even in, you know, the the all uh, controversial gun or gun-free zones that we talk about so often about how, oh, I'm defenseless when I go to the post office, let's say. Uh, I am not defenseless when I go into those environments because I recognize I still have tools at my disposal. It may not be the best tool, but, and the hammer was probably not the best tool for the situation, but Mr. Gross was not going down without a fight. That's the first thing. I, I, I actually really love the fact that this is in the story, that he grabbed a hammer and first fought with them with the hammer. The second thing is, yes, <laughs> why would you ever want to have to run to the car to get a gun? And is the car a good place to keep guns? Mm, probably not. Uh, cars get broken into all the time and guns guns get stolen, and that's not a good thing either. You know what? If Mr. Gross happens to listen to this podcast, I'll tell you what, Jacob, I'm willing to throw this out there. If he listens to this podcast and he hears us talk about his story, and if he does not have a handgun safe in his home, and I know he's got his little boy that he know you know he needs to be concerned with as far as safety is concerned. If he does not have a safe in his home, and that's why he's keeping the gun in the vehicle, tell you what, Mister Gross, send us a message. We'll send you a safe. How about that? I love it when you volunteer company resources without me. But yeah, no, that that that's I, I'm I'm down, and uh, I would love to hear you know his side of the story. And yeah, if you if you hear this, or if one of your friends hears this and tells you about it, contact us. We'll send you a safe. There you go. We'll, we'll send him the little one, the little, uh, uh, what's it called? The clamshell. Clamshell, yes. There you go. Yeah. Yep. Good safe. Yep. Cool. Armed neighbor shoots, kills domestic violence suspect. Uh, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this one uh, because we are kind of running out of time uh, for as far as getting this episode done today. But uh, this is a cool story because we featured a s- similar story recently as well. This was reported on LasVegasNow.com and basically had a situation where there was a domestic violence situation. Okay, A woman was being beaten by her boyfriend and a neighbor happens to notice and happens to care enough to grab their gun and go over and basically save her. Okay, So 
they it says here the investigators believe the dead man and the dead man is the boyfriend that was shot by the neighbor and killed had been abusing his girlfriend for hours before the shooting. They said the victim had obvious signs of abuse and was bleeding from her face. They also believe the man had kicked down a door inside the couple's apartment earlier Thursday. This was last week. Before the shooting, police believe the woman ran from her apartment and found a neighbor she knew in the parking lot. The woman's longtime boyfriend apparently chased her and got got into an argument with the neighbor. There was a verbal argument and there was some yelling. When I was... And this is quoting the Metro Homicide Investigator. Uh, What I was told by the security guard was he told him to back up. He told him to get back or he would get shot. During that confrontation, the neighbor fired one shot, hitting and killing the boyfriend. Bam. Bam. Yeah, I don't know that I have a lot to add, except that uh, most of us know somebody who's been a victim or been a potential victim of domestic violence or domestic abuse. And, you know, these things hit home sometimes and it's an unfortunate reality, but I'll also say a really good way to illustrate how important it is that the individual in this country have the right of Mm self-defense, right? We we have to understand that the law enforcement just can't be everywhere. And I really appreciated some of, you know, Matthew's comments the other day when you guys did a podcast together and he was talking about how um, sometimes, you know, it's just an abused system. But as the officer or as the judge or as the whoever in the in the, in you know in the system, you, you just can never take any risks because sometimes these threats are real. And this is an example of a time where you know this this was a real threat. And so, you know, thank goodness for the for the neighbor, right? Yeah. Now, <clears throat> story turning to story from KWWL.com. Oh, this is a fun a one. Story out of Cedar Rapids, Iowa. This is a fun one. Uh it, it be, and also because, I mean, we, this is not the first time we we have shared a story like this. Uh, Cedar Rapids man went straight from the hospital to jail on Monday after being shot during an alleged burglary last month. And so what happened was six, 26-year-old Ethan Deo was living in the home when the crime happened. Police say he called them saying he shot a burglar inside his house. Police say 43-year-old Sherman Hopkins is charged with kidnapping in the first degree, robbery in the first degree, and burglary in the first degree. According to the criminal complaint, Deo went into a bat- bedroom, this is the home, home occupant, to try and get away from Hopkins after he came into his house, but he forced his way into the bedroom. The complaint goes on to say that Hopkins ordered Deo to log into his computer and transfer a domain name to a third party. <laughs> wow, <laughs> that's a new one there. Yeah. So, th- so this this is a this is a targeted crime. This is not random, right? And this is all about a domain name. You know, something that costs approximately you know nine ninety nine. <laughs> that's unless it's concealedcarry.com. <laughs> that, that that was that's a more expensive domain. Yeah, granted. Uh, so yeah, we don't know what the domain was, but but the point is that um, sometimes it's really dumb little things, you know, that you would never have expected. That's the thing that someone's going to come after me for. And here's the other thing that I, 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 you know, and I know that you know the story is not over, but I can't help it. We often talk about how the vast majority of criminal efforts are random. And because they're random, the way you, you know, it doesn't take as much to defend yourself, right? If I, if I draw a gun and just say, hey, I got a gun, I'm going to, you know, don't come in my, any, any closer, don't come upstairs, you know, whatever. The average random home invader is going to split, doesn't want to get shot. But if you've been targeted for a specific reason, that changes the dynamic of the situation and what you might have to do in order to defend yourself mm-hmm. or your family. Yeah, and this one's interesting, right? Because I mean, imagine you have an argument over someone about something as simple as a domain name, <laughs> and 
I, I would never imagine a guy that I was arguing with, you know, let's say somebody wanted to buy a domain name from me and I refuse to sell it to them. And so they get upset. I would never imagine that they would come into my home with a gun and at gunpoint force me to transfer that domain name to them. So I mean, the interesting thing is, while it is a targeted crime and while it may not be one of those so, so-called random crimes, it, it is kind of random because it's not something you could exactly prepare for or expect to have happen. So it really isn't all that different from a lot of our other random uh, stories that we share. To finish up the story... Uh, Hopkins did come into the home with a gun and at gunpoint was going to force Deo to log into his his account and transfer this domain name to a third party. That's when Deo grabbed the gun and a struggle began between the two. During the struggle, the gun is fired and it shot Deo in the foot. And that's when Deo also grabbed the gun and he then was able to get away from Hopkins and shoot Hopkins twice before calling police. So, there you go. That is a Wow. I mean, that's just one that I would have never expected to have read or come across. <laughs> well, domain names also have a paper trail. Like, you know, if he had right. been successful in his efforts, like we would have figured out who the domain was transferred to, you know. <laughs> but uh, all things aside, probably the big lesson here for Mr. Deo is, you know, own a gun and have a better home defense strategy, you know. Yep. <laughs> On to, again, this is our second story from the Herald Tribune today out of Florida, where a Pizza Hut employee shoots robber, Sheriff says. Uh, A Pizza Hut employee shot a man who attempted to rob a Pizza Hut store Tuesday night, a Sarasota County Sheriff's Office reports. According to the Sheriff's Office, two masked men attempted to rob the Pizza Hut at about 11.30 p.m. One of the employees reported that he drew his lawfully carried firearm after one of the robbers pointed a gun at him. The 22-year-old employee who said he feared for his life fired three times at the robber before taking cover. The robbers fled, leaving a firearm and blood behind. Uh, Apparently, uh, one of the robbers was taken to the Sarasota Memorial Hospital. Uh, Jonathan Young, age 21, of Bradenton, once again, the second story from Bradenton today, uh, was treated for a gun, because I think the first one was the step uh, stepdad and stepsons, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Interesting, huh? Uh, he was treated for a gunshot wound and charged with armed robbery. The three men who were in the car that brought Young to the hospital were also arrested, and so they're all, all facing charges as well. There you go. Uh, I love the fact that, you know... <laughs> I'm very passionate about this whole pizza delivery driver or pizza store uh, type situation because we had that crime here a few years ago that really struck close to home where we had a, I think in that case, a Domino's pizza delivery driver uh, that was killed uh, by an uh, by a, a convict um, simply so he could get his uniform so he could then go and shoot and kill the Department of Corrections chief here in Colorado a few years ago. Um, and I, I just, I hate, I hate it when pizza delivery drivers are defenseless. We also had, um, Ty Fredericks on the podcast, Mm -hmm. pizza delivery driver who was targeted when he was trying to deliver a pizza. Yeah. For the cash that was on him. And he got shot. Yeah. Yeah. He took a bullet. You know, he'll never be the same. 
Uh, I'll also add something that the story doesn't mention at all, but I'm curious about is whether or not this guy's going to keep his job because both Pizza Hut and Domino's have a track record of firing employees who have a gun with them at all, even you know, even when they do use it in self-defense. Yeah. You know what I would say? Even if I was getting fired to uh, to Pizza Hut or whoever whoever the organization was, if I was getting fired because of doing that, because of defending my life, I'd say, wow, thanks for, you know, like, it's clear to me that you do not care about the lives of your employees. <laughs> yeah, I you mean, know? you, you're, whatever you think you've done to protect me failed. So I'm really glad I took it into my own hands. Yep. And frankly, like all the other employees who were here that night, like I saved them too. That was your job. Yep. Your job to protect your, your staff. Yep, indeed. Final story. 17-year-old Spokane girl pulls gun on home intruder on the run from Spokane County deputies. Now, this one also kind of, you know, I I find myself uh, relating to this story because uh, I've told this story before on the podcast about my own experience a few uh, year and a half ago, roughly, when we had a guy on the run from police. He led them on a high-speed chase, and somehow that guy... A carjacking suspect, uh, known violent criminal, somehow ended up in my backyard as police were chasing him. And, you know, fortunately, nothing happened to me or my family. Didn't have to draw a gun on the guy. I I had my gun in. I was in the home at the time. I had my gun ready in case something had happened. So how often does this sort of thing happen? Well, unfortunately, more often than we would like it to be. Uh, In this case, a 17-year-old North Spokane County girl protected herself at her home with her dad's gun when a suspected car thief, hmm, (laughs) like, see what I mean, how it seems so similar to my situation, uh, on the run from Spokane County deputies came into her house Monday morning. The incident originally started around 5 a.m. when deputies spotted a stolen car in the Wandermere area. After a pursuit, the suspect ditched the car in a field and took off on foot. Deputies set up a perimeter to look for the suspect. And uh, they... Uh, the So what happened... Okay, so turning now to the girl is she... The, her parents left and boyfriend left for work. And after seeing... Our story, her boyfriend came across some deputies on his way to work and got more information from them. He then called Kimber to let her know what deputies told him. Kimber then called her dad and asked if she could grab one of his guns for protection. He said yes. Kimber grabbed a gun, placed it under her pillow, and went back to sleep. This, this is amazing, isn't it, Jacob? A short t- it's, it's mind-blowing, the, the series of events. A yeah. short time later, she says she woke up to the sound of someone coming into her house. She grabbed the gun and hid behind her makeup vanity. She soon found herself face-to-face with the man on the run from deputies. She pulled the gun out, pointed it at the suspect, and said, Who are you? And get the expletive out of my house. According to Kimber, the intruder's eyes got really wide, and he ran out of the house. As he was running from the home, Kimber says she fired one shot into the ground. Kimber says the suspect stole her boyfriend's ATV and fled the scene. Deputy search for the suspect. So far, there has not been word on if he was apprehended, but uh, this is just an incredible story. So her family finds out, her boyfriend, you know, they, they find out about this uh, uh, guy on the run and they notify, you know, the boyfriend had presence of mind to notify her and say, hey, by the way, she calls, gets permission to get a gun. She is technically underage. Uh, she's obviously mature. And I mean, I don't know. I guess she lives with her boyfriend, with her parents. That's a little bit odd, but at least to me, <laughs> I don't know. That. Yeah, but whatever. <laughs> but not not to judge. But anyway, 
that's just a fascinating story. It, it is a fascinating story. And, you know, we, actually, we had a podcast listener send us a, a question, you know, not too long ago that I've, I've sworn that eventually one day we'll, we'll talk about more in the podcast. Maybe it's its own episode. But we've often talked about this, this, this question of, you know, when you have uh, children in the home that are, you're not there to defend them, do you empower them with a gun? You know, I mean, because it's not uncommon for people to to leave a 13-year-old, 14-year-old, 15-year-old, in this case, a 17-year-old in charge all by themselves, no babysitter. Like, that. that's fine. I don't see an issue with that. But they are then left to fend for themselves in terms of their self-defense. And do you empower them with a, a code to a gun safe or with a gun? And, you know, in this case, I, I thought it was really interesting that it was a phone call placed. Hey, you know, can I get a gun? Like, yeah, go ahead. <laughs> you know? And I don't, we don't know how much training, we don't know any of the backstory relative to guns in that house and what, what the 17 year old knew. Um, certainly didn't know that you don't put a gun under your pillow, but anyway, you know, all, all that said, it, it worked out in the end. It did indeed. And we're so happy it worked out. Uh, I, you know, who knows what could have or would have happened to a young 17 year old girl, uh, when you've got, uh, you know, a grown man, a, a thief, a, a criminal that comes into the home. I mean, that that could have been uh, that could have played out a lot differently. Uh, we'd be reading about a seventeen-year-old girl that was killed or something, uh, or assaulted by a home intruder, as opposed to a empowered, strong seventeen-year-old girl that defended herself. So there you go. That wraps up our stories for today. Uh, that was, uh, boy, there's there a lot of good stuff there. Uh, I'm glad I was able to uh, cover these stories with you, Jacob. Um, but first, today's episode is brought to you by the Pig Lube Rifle and Handgun Cleaning Kit. Now, this is a 30-piece cleaning kit that we just started stocking on our store at concealedcarry.com. I've, you've heard us talk about a lot uh, Pig Lube, and then also fairly recently, a few weeks, maybe a month or so ago, uh, Pig Lube has released their Pig Lube Cleaner, a uh, cleaning solvent for guns that uh, they, they, they call PLC, Pig Lube Cleaner. And now you can get Pig Lube and PLC together in an all-inclusive 30-piece handgun and rifle cleaning kit. Very reasonable price. Super, super reasonable. I mean, I... Go go go! Check us out if you if you need a comprehensive cleaning kit and you and you want pig lube and PLC, which I highly recommend. You can go get that cleaning kit today. Use the. I, should we just use the podcast ten, Jacob? Coupon code, yeah. Sure. I'll make there it. There you work. go. Use podcast ten, P O D C A S T one zero, and save some money on the pig lube. Rifle and handgun 30-piece cleaning kit. And today's episode is yeah. also brought to you by Live Fire Drill Cards. And we've got a cool little three-piece Live Fire Drill Card kit. Now, I'm going to probably let you, Jacob, explain these because you you know them probably better than I do, actually, uh, as you've been intimately involved in this project. And mm-hmm. so yeah, tell so- folks what the Live Fire dr- Drill Cards are. Yeah, so Live Fire Drill Cards, you know... the, the- these cards uh, come traditionally in a book, a large book, I might add, uh, that essentially has um, all, all these different drills in it. And the idea, the premise behind the product is if you track your what you're doing, or if you keep track of, of, of how you perform when you run these drills, then it's easier to improve, right? If I score X this day and then I score Y the next day, oh, look, I've improved. And I, I'm totally a believer in that philosophy. If you don't measure something, you have no idea if you're improving or not. So I totally believe in that. So these cards are designed, uh, first and foremost, as a method for you to keep track of your progress. 
But on the back of the card, it also has really well-designed uh, instructions on how to run the drill. It shows distance, it shows what kind of target you need, how many rounds you need to fire, and each stage of the drill. Um, they're really well-designed, and they're really easy to follow. They're really nice cards. And traditionally, they come in a, in a book uh, with 30 drills. And in that book, you also have a bunch of other really helpful assets and tools in, in addition to the drill cards. And the book runs $59.95 on, on our site. And that's, that's, that's the minimum advertised price. That's what you can get it for anywhere. And it's a real good deal. That said, what we decided to do, we worked out this deal um, with the company who actually prints these for us, and we created this three-pack. And the three-pack is just three of the drill cards. It's El Presidente, Bill Drill 2, and the FBI Qualification Drill. And the three-pack, we're able to, to, to send to a customer free shipping, the whole thing, just four bucks. That's a real good deal. I mean, you're just going to pay $4, you're going to get these three cards, they're the most popular drills, and it's going to give you a chance to run some really good drills, to improve, to learn and to get a sense for how you would use this as a tool to have a better plan when you go to the range, to be more efficient in terms of the ammo you you expend, and to improve as a shooter. And we hope that if you'll use if you use these three cards, that you'll probably you know see the value of getting the entire book, which I think is is a really great product. But yeah, for four dollars free shipping, you can get the three pack, and that'll get you started. Heck yeah! And then if you know if you find you're interested, you're going to want to get the whole thing. I know that for a fact. Uh, so live fire drill cards, uh, super cool. We were using them at the range uh, recently, and it it was really cool to see how well organized, uh, you know, it, in a way that it made sense. You know, the 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 way you record the drills on there and follow the instructions. Incredibly well designed product. Uh, I applaud them for for their work on the live fire drill cards. And uh, so now we have them available through our store. So go check them out. You're gonna you're gonna enjoy them. We'll put a link in the show notes so you guys can find the three-pack. Yep. There you go. So that wraps it up for today. Like I said, you will hear from us again very soon with a typical Wednesday episode of the podcast where we'll, be, we'll break down another uh, concealed carry-related subject that I know will be of interest to many of you. Thanks for joining us again for another episode of the Concealed Carry Podcast. Uh, we'll bid you farewell, Jacob. Thanks, everyone. Talk to you soon. And so with that, this is Riley signing off from ConcealedCarry.com, the Concealed Carry podcast. Train right, train often, and train safe so you can fight hard, fight fast, and fight true. Take care, everyone. A reminder that laws vary from place to place, and we encourage listeners to seek local legal advice to understand applicable laws. The Concealed Carry Podcast, Concealed Carry Inc., ConcealedCarry.com, and their affiliates strive to share insights and stories about firearm-related incidents and laws, but things could be different where you live, or laws may have changed by the time you listen to this. We cannot be held liable for your actions based on the information shared in this podcast.